I need to keep track of the time. Well, hello to you all. <clears throat> and um, I repeat the words of my brothers. Thank you for attending. Much has been said concerning my mother, Gail, and um, the job falls to me to speak to you not of Gail, but of her saviour, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In order to do that, we're going to read some scripture, or I'm going to read some scripture to you. But first of all, before we read the scripture, I will pray. I would ask that you would join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, there is hope and there is joy to be found through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I seek to open the scriptures this day, Father, I pray that you would help me as I speak. I pray that you would help us all as we hear. May we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are understanding and obedient. And these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. After Gail was converted, and the first time I met her, and as Luke said, this was three months to the day before my mum died, one of the very first things she did was she asked me to teach her a Bible lesson. And if any of you know Gail, and if any of you know the family history, or at least know enough of it, what you might not know is that Honestly, and I'm just being truly honest, until her conversion, for her, one of the worst things ever was to hear me teach the scripture. She did not want to hear what I had to say. She was not interested in sitting under the word of God. Indeed, if she were here and sitting under the word of God in her pre-conversion state, she would actually have sat there pulling faces and muttering under her breath. And I'm not exaggerating, it is the truth. She was not a Christian four months ago. She became a Christian three months ago. So when I first met her after her conversion, one of the very first things that she asked me to do was one, to pray with her, two, to give her a Bible lesson, and three, as she knew that her time was drawing near, she said to me, we will have a Christian funeral and you will be the preacher. And so here I am. You can think of me as your gift from Gail, And if you don't like the gift, I'm sorry, I'm not apologising. Reading the scriptures, Luke chapter chapter 23 and starting at verse 26. And as they led him, and this is speaking of Jesus, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, and this is verse 39, if you happen to be reading along, and this is the point from where on I will be um, making my comments. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we, indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. May God bless his word to us. I would um, say to you today that Australia's favourite religious doctrine held by the vast majority of Australians, is a false doctrine. This false doctrine is what I would call justification by death alone. There's an assumption. People make it. They just assume if someone has died, surely they've gone on to a better place. Surely, if someone has died, by some means or other, surely that person has been given eternal life in the presence of God. It's a false doctrine. It is a lie. It's a comforting lie. The passage that I just read to you actually proves to us that this is indeed a lie. For there were two criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And one criminal entered into paradise and one criminal did not. Yet all three men died at the same time under the same circumstances. My friends... Don't put your trust in justification by death alone. Forgiveness simply because you have come to the end of your natural life. That is not scriptural. That is not according to that which God has taught us. That is not true according to the words of Jesus himself. When people hear this part of the Gospels that we get in this particular chapter of the Gospel of Luke, they often simply assume that The one who entered into eternal life, the one who entered into paradise, was forgiven. It's true. His sins were forgiven. But there's more to it than the idea that his sins were forgiven. He was truly and thoroughly converted. And I tell you that the passage here before us gives us the evidence that he was truly and thoroughly converted. Forgiveness is not just thrown down at random, as it were. Forgiveness is accompanied by transformation of the one forgiven. Forgiveness is a part of that which we have called conversion. There is evidence in that which we just read that the criminal who entered into paradise was a converted man, not only a forgiven man. 
I suggest to you that there are at least three things about this man that tell us that he was a converted man. And those are the things that I want to bring to your attention. The first thing that the saved criminal did was he rebuked the evil that he saw around about him. Remember, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, that is at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Imagine, criminals, men upon the cross, men guilty, men being tortured to death. Dying upon a Roman cross was no pretty or easy way to die. Basically, you drowned in your own bodily fluids. That's the way it worked. Do you not fear God? Don't you understand, he is saying to the other criminal, don't you understand? In a very short time, we face God. We face our creator. Do you not fear this? Do you not understand that you are going to come into the presence of the living God who has eternity in his hands? So one of the first evidences of his thorough conversion, not just simply his forgiveness, was that he discerned good from evil and he rebuked and shunned evil. What would be the second one? The second one comes in the next thing that he says at verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. What does he mean? We indeed justly. He has rebuked his fellow criminal for insulting Jesus and for not fearing God at the time of death. And now he confesses that his own sins, his own crimes, make it fair that he is to die. You see what I'm saying? There is absolutely no self-righteousness in this man. We deserve that which is coming our way. You know, what's a good way to know whether or not a person has truly learnt their lesson, repented of their sins, whether or not a person has truly grown through their mistakes, through their sins, through their wickedness? It's the taking of responsibility for what you have done. When the person who has sinned against you honestly confesses to you that they have done that which is wrong, you know that they have actually taken stock of the situation in which they live and they have actually taken stock of their own behaviour and they have realised that they have fallen short. This man is under the sentence of death, death by torture, and this man is saying, and I deserve no better. You should be shocked. If you're not, think about it. I deserve no better. Of all the ways that we can leave this world, I'm telling you, in the end, no matter who you are, and even my own mum, whom I loved as much as my brothers, even my own mum, 
we deserved no better. And I can't guarantee that you'll even draw your next breath. I can't promise you that you'll make it down to the bowling club for the luncheon afterwards. And you can't promise me in any of those things either. We expect that it will be so, but who can promise that it will be so? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. And now we come to the third thing which indicates to us that this man has undergone a thorough conversion. And that is that he looks at Jesus through the eyes of faith. There's this thing, you know, I'll give you a fancy word, presuppositions. Presuppositions. Let's say worldview. I'll throw you another fancy word. It's not worth much, but paradigm. There is a way that all of us look at the world. There is a way that all of us interpret the things that we see. This man upon the cross looked at a dying man and did not see failure or defeat. He did not see weakness. He did not see wickedness. He looked at this dying man through the eyes of faith and he saw that the Son of God was gaining the victory which would bring salvation to all who put their trust in him. He saw, not only that, he saw the character of the Son of God. He understood that the atonement that was needed was being made. What do I mean? This man has done nothing wrong. My friends, there's a phrase in the scriptures. Most of the Christians here would know it very well. The wages of sin is death. Why is there death in the world? The wages of sin is death. What is the repayment for sin? Death. Are you an innocent person? Are you righteous in all your deeds, thoughts and words? And if you're having an honest moment, you're saying, no, I am not. Fine. The wages of sin are death. But this man, whom he saw upon the cross, dying, he said, this man has done no wrong. He understood that the one dying was righteous, holy and good. Do you want to know something? I'll, I'll tell you what I'm saying. There has actually only been one true injustice worked upon the earth. I mean this. There has actually only ever been one true injustice worked upon the earth. And that true injustice was killing the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it took the power of God to take the death of an innocent one and make his innocence our atonement. Atonement. Why? Is it that the wages of sin are death? It is because God is justly and righteously angry. You see, if you say to me in, in, in any way that you think God is perfect, and if you want to say to me in any way that you think God is loving, that's fine. I want to hear it. 
I agree, God is perfect, God is loving. But if God is loving, is it love not to punish the sins of those who do wickedly? Think of things that happen in our own criminal system. How do you feel when you hear that some rapist, through the manipulations of some high-paid lawyer, gets off? Instead of getting what he deserves, he gets out. How do you feel? Some anger? Some righteous anger? It ought not be like that? That which should be done ought to be done? Would you say that the judge who allowed the criminal off, though the criminal was guilty, was acting in love? The answer is obvious. No, that judge is not. The judge is not loving the victim of the criminal. It's as simple as that. If you want to tell me God is perfect, if you want to agree with me that God is loving, well, the very perfection and the very loving nature of God requires the punishment of sin. And so, my friends, the wages of sin are death. The very loving nature of God also requires the forgiveness of sin. He is willing and ready to forgive. But here's what I want you to understand. Don't imagine that this works like a whiteboard. Everything's written down. And when God forgives sin, he just pretends it didn't happen and wipes it away. Not a good picture. Not a good picture. You see, if you've agreed with me that God is perfect, or God's memory, God's knowledge is perfect. He does not forget anything. He cannot forget anything. So what's needed for the cleansing of sin? What's needed for the forgiveness of sin? What's needed that one who is a sinner and earning the wages of sin, which is death, gets eternal life? What's needed? Cleansing, washing, hiding, covering. The Lord Jesus was without sin, and so his blood was worth more than anything upon this earth. If you um, sit in an evangelical church, and I don't know who is a Christian here and who is not, but if you sit in an evangelical church, I would guarantee to you that at least once a week you will hear someone sing some kind of song about the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's what we're talking about. The perfection of the one who shed his blood to wash away the sins. It's as simple as this. For those who are in Christ, God the Father looks at you as though you are Christ himself. You are hidden in Christ. Your sins are passed over. You say, where did they go? What happened? You've just told me the wages of sin are death. Where's the justice? Here's the justice. Those sins were born to the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so the criminal on the cross, looking through the eyes of faith, understood that he was looking at God's atonement for sin. He understood that he was looking at God 
bringing sinners to eternal life. God was making a way for a person to receive salvation. Furthermore, he said, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He's looking at a man being tortured to death. And of that man, he says, remember me when you come to your kingdom. You see, he understands this one whom I'm calling a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, truly man and truly God, was receiving as an inheritance all of creation. He was receiving a kingdom for his glory. And so the thief on the cross, it's not enough to say he was forgiven, though surely he was forgiven. He was truly, soundly converted. He was, to use an evangelical phrase that you find in John chapter 3, he was born from above, made regenerate, made alive in the, in the sight of God. My friends, Scripture tells us that it's better to go to the house of mourning, to the house of rejoicing. That might seem to you to be a strange thing to say. Why would it be better to mourn? Well, I'm going to say something. Don't think that because I say it, I don't love you. Sometimes people tell you what you don't want to hear because they do love you. You see that box there with the flowers and the photo? Unless Jesus himself intervenes by returning in the meantime, for me and for you and for our children and for our grandchildren, guess what? There's the future. In the end, it comes to a box. Do I believe in the resurrection of the dead? I certainly do, but I'm not expecting it to happen here in this church service today. In the end, we go into the ground because the wages of sin are death. And as was read for us earlier, for those who are in Christ, though we die, yet shall we live. So I close with a warning, with an invitation, with a pleading. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour, if you do not bend the knee to him as king, don't come to me talking about eternal life. My friends, you don't have it. Justification by death alone is a lie. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as saviour and king, as Lord, my friends, make peace with him. Seek forgiveness in his name and turn away from your sin. I'm a less than perfect man. And though Adam and Luke have described in, in great detail all the qualities and the characters of our mother, she was a less than perfect woman. But here's the good news. We have a perfect saviour. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life is yours. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to speak these words here now. I pray, Father, that I have not spoken amiss, but that I have spoken the truth 
according to the things that you have revealed to us in your holy scriptures. I pray, Father, that scripture will do the thing for which you have sent it forth, that it will not return to you void, but that it will accomplish your purposes. Father, these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.